millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Hello and welcome back to Black Hole Cinema, all the way from Her Majesty's Prison Service. Joining us this week again is Mr. Matt Latham. Hello. Hello. Did they did they let you out on um, temporary leave to, to record this week? I've currently managed to book a conjugal visit, although they look really weird when I took a microphone with me. Who, who, who are you having a conjugal visit with? With the two of you, of course. Well, I wasn't told about this. No. I, I, I kind of feel a bit violated, actually. <laughs> um, and you've also heard the uh, voice um, from the black hole, uh, Mr. Tony Black. Hello, Tony. Hello. I don't want to let lay them in here. Nowhere near my black hole. Now this is this. <laughs> this is this, this, is, this is worried me. I don't like the fact that I, I'm being dragged into conjugal. Is it? Yeah. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I've only been on here two minutes and already it's descended back into madness again. <laughs> we wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> we have have six reviews for you this week, including um, the new Liam Neeson action crime drama Run All Night. Was, was that an impression? There. Yeah, was it was it was it pretty crap? <laughs> it was it was it was all right. It was all right. I'm not an authority on these things. It was just a, better than mine. Very quick. <laughs> Every impression is better than yours. Oh, shut up, will you? <laughs> exactly. Thank you for proving my point. Uh, we also have another turn from the Stafe in Wild Card. The uh, I won't say incredibly boring. It was it was brilliant. Uh, the <laughs> Irene Nimborowski uh, novel now come big screen. I'm not going to say action because it's not action either. Sweet Francais. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly wasn't action. I think we can't know what that, that review is going to be like. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a hint for you. Spoilers. As well as uh, Sean Penn in the new action drama The Gunman. Sean um, Penn. Sean Penn. 
Sean, Sean, Sean Penn's a little bit like that. Sean Penn, yeah. yeah. Arrest from all the action. Uh, we have comedy uh, from Ryan Reynolds, uh, The Voices. Uh, but up first, um, the sequel to Divergent, Insurgent. You found it. The future our people deserve. One choice can transform you or it can destroy you, but every choice has consequences. And as unrest surges into the factions all around her, Triss Pryor must continue trying to save those she loves and herself while grappling with the haunting questions of grief and forgiveness, identity and loyalty, politics and love. That's a Does really, she? really long storyline uh, summary so i'm not gonna read it all oh that but was the storyline summary i apparently. thought that was off the cuff i came prepared yeah. uh woodley uh theo james uh kate winslet jay courtney etc they all return alongside miles teller as well who for me was probably the only decent thing about the whole film sorry i, I watched the trailer for in diverge rent or whatever it's called and i think i was sat next to tony at the time and i remember turning to him going i've got no clue what's going on i just heard you say the synopsis and i still have no clue what the hell the film's about mm. uh well basically it's the 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 story is you it's set in a world um in a world in a, in a world <laughs> <laughs> like all the kind of young adult type films that are out these days where apparently the future's gone to shit um, and they need to completely transform how society is run. Um, the adults case... can't do it right, so the young yeah. adults have to step in and sort things out. Yep. But basically, it's split into, is it five factions? And basically, each kind of basically separated so that you put basically the best quality, I guess, of each person. Um, and that's kind of what they represent. You've got the intelligent people and the, the good people as it were, which is a bit funny, really, how they just, like, basically say all smart people are really evil and that all the good people are really dumb. That's what, that's how it kind of came across to me. Because mm. uh, kind of, they open up in the... I can't remember what the faction's called, but the... Um, basically with the good people that, you know, kind of take pl- uh, pleasure, probably the wrong word to use, um, but they, you know, they, they basically look out and care for other people, etc. And that's kind of their whole ethos. Um, and that's kind of where, uh, following the events of the previous film, that's where uh, Triss and Four and um, basically the other survivors that have been outcast from society, that's where they kind of end up and they're kind of protected by these people uh, headed up by octavia spencer who's in it for all of about 10 minutes and mm. quite frankly is wasted I, I also quite the uh the chat from lost i forgot what his name what's the actor's name um daniel day kim yes yeah he was the the head of the basically the people that don't tell lies apparently the, you know the the honesty faction i can't remember what they call them candor candor that's it yeah I'll Wikipedia um, it because I'm still confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't bother. I kind of felt it was a little better than the previous one. I know you just said it was 
that both were equally as nondescript as each other, but I kind of maybe having after seeing Sweet Form say I'm kind of perhaps <laughs> in, in anything might have been better. So that's perhaps uh, an unfair uh, comparison. But without Miles Teller in it and the adults that don't do a lot other than Kate Winslet, it was pretty naff. The, the issue is the characters you just don't give a crap about. I think the point is that the characters just are quite lifeless in many ways. They 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 come off as being, you know, full of vim and vigor, but they're not. My my problem with this is that I mean, last year Divergent came out, and you know, it came out in the, on the back of the Hunger Games. Now, th- these, this is basically the only reason this has got made, and the Maze Runner has got made, and all these things are getting made is because the Hunger Games made a billion dollars. And everyone went nuts for that stuff. And they realised that there's a young adult market out there who are going to lap up this stuff. And it's exactly the same kind of thing. Triss, who's played by Shailene Woodley in this, is another Katniss Everdeen, except she's just boring. A boring version of Katniss Everdeen, basically. As Shailene Woodley is a boring version of Jennifer Lawrence. They even look quite similar. You yeah. know. But whereas Jennifer Lawrence has got that little t- twinkle in her eye and that sparkle, and Katniss Everdeen is, is, is quite a good character. I mean, having read the books... Um, as well, she's quite a strong female character, and the Hunger Games world. The Hunger Games isn't perfect, you know. It's, it's a watered down battle royale at the end of the day, but it's 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 not bad, you know. It's not a bad series, and it's got more oomph to it. This, it just feels like, for a start, I think Veronica Roth, who wrote the books, just blatantly read Suzanne Collins and went, "Yeah, I like that. I'm just going to port that over with a little bit of my own stuff, mm. and then I'll do that again. Well, why not? Because it's the same thing. It's cat. It's Tris is this, you know, she's." She's sweet and she's got a family and, and she has to go and protect the family by going off and training to be a, you know, one of the, I think it's Dauntless she ends up in. There's, there's all these different factions, like you say. There's Erudite, Candor, Dauntless, Abnegation and um, Enmity, I think. How do I know that? How have yeah. I remembered that? How, how, how did you like, stay awake long enough to... Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's a good question. <clears throat> so You're got... a secret fan, aren't you? You just want to, you just want to well, fight it... for being cool because... I bet you see, you've more... read the books about six times, haven't you? <laughs> Maybe that's true. I'm more sort of... I like, actually, the world building around it. I like the world building of the Divergent series, as it's called. It's quite a decent idea, even though it's ripped off tonally from something that's better. But, you know, she's like this kind of girl who has to go out and do this. Then she meets this, you know, brooding kind of mentor guy, who uh, played by Theo James, who, uh, weirdly enough, I remember from Dream Team, the old Sky One... Um, like football show. I'm sure he was in. I don't remember. No, I don't think he was. I don't remember him on that. He was in he some was, shit years ago. He was. He was in that goat uh, bedlam, which was on. I think it was on ITV. I think. Who's this? Sorry, Theo James. Um, the name's familiar. Yeah, you, you'd know if you saw it. He's one of yeah. those guys who's meant to be really charismatic and sexy, and you know, He's just edgy and tough, and he's fucking boring. He's just boring. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, yeah. he's the kind of guy that teenage girls fancy because they don't know what, what they don't know what guys with personality are because they've never met any, right? Because yeah. all the lads who are hot and cool are boring. So all the girls who this film is targeted at, and I'll get to that in a minute, but all the girls love would love for because he's just, you know, he's sensitive, but he's tough and he'll look after me, but he's got a heart, but he's hard and he'll kick ass and all this. He's just dull, right? So yeah. she, they end up falling in love with each other and then the whole thing just and you've got Kate Winslet who's being this you know ice maiden sort of you know she's like basically the President Snow from Hunger Games of the whole thing you know she's yeah. the ice maiden it's the same thing 
And then, so Divergent goes through all this, and he's training and all that rubbish, and then it gets to the end, and there's a bit of a fight, and then it goes off. But when Insurgent, obviously, does the sequel thing of, oh, yeah, it's a sequel, so that means it's got to be darker, and it's got to be, you know, harder on the characters, and it's got to be, you know, edgier, and it's got to be louder, and there's got to be more action, and everything like that. It does all that, right? It does all that. And you don't care. From the very beginning no. till the very end... It's like it's like it's just going past your eyes. It's like sitting there, and I mean, there, there were there were seriously. I had this problem with the gunman, but it was slightly similar. There were tracts of this where I, I was, I, my mind was just think going, my train is in about an hour. Do I go now or do I get that? And then it would wander off and go. Oh right, on Saturday I'm going. I'm going to need to get this from the shops. So I need to get some toilet roll. I need to get some binnacles. <laughs> I might have to get some blue loo for the toilet. I, honestly, it was just my mind just went off. And there was one point, it wasn't quite as bad as in the government, but there was one point where I looked back and I don't, I didn't know what happened for like five minutes. It's just, you know, it was just that whole thing of, it just goes past you. It's directed by Robert Schwentke, who, um, at, he, he didn't direct the other one, he, the first one. He's, he's taken over and he's the guy who's given us Red, which was rubbish. He's given us R.O.P.D., which was rubbish. And I think he did something else, which I didn't like. He's, he's a hack. He's just hopeless. He's one of those directors who you see his name and you go, oh, God. This is going to be bad. And that's the whole thing, though. It's not bad. I mean, my, my review, my first review of Insurgent, I've since done another one, which tells you more about it. But my first review was, eh. It was just, eh. I don't know what to say. Eh. Yeah. It just, is, it just yeah, exists, you know. It exists for a market of the kind of teenage girls who in 1999 went batshit crazy and fell in love with that final scene in Titanic that everyone else hated when Leo DiCaprio's drowning. And they're all like, oh, no, Leo can't die. Spoilers. Sorry, the ship sinks. That's oh, a little bollocks. Right. Sorry. Right. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio can't die. And everyone else in that cinema, all the lads and all the um, older people were going, he was a knob. Just let him <laughs> sink. Right. Yeah. Everyone else hated him. Right. And it's the, it's the same thing. It's the whole thing of teenage girls. Literally, there were about four teenage girls racing in behind me. Right. As I go into the cinema. And I, I, I did think, oh, this isn't for me. This film has not been made for me at all. So, no. you know, it, it, it's not necessarily... I can't sit here and go, it's crap, because there will be a lot of people, young adults, who will lap it up. But mm. without it sounding patchy... And I've worked work with children for years now, and, and, you know, so I know what, what young adults think. And I'm not being patronising when I say they'll love this because they haven't seen enough other stuff yet. Well, the thing is, is, if they've watched The Hunger Games, which is very, very likely, then they should sit there and go, it's just not as good as Hunger Games, though, is it? But 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 they but you know, they, if they've got any sense. Well, yeah, but and you know, you, you bright ones might. But then you know, a lot mm. of the a lot, and this, this sounds awfully sexist, but I'm sorry, I would stand by it. The girls who go and see because lads won't go and see this film. If they do, they go with their girlfriends, right? Mm. Girls who see this film will be totally taken in by mm. this Tris and Four romance, which underpins the whole thing. The thing is, it's not believable. Like, no, like I, I I watched the first film literally hours before watching the second one. So that's you know I'm sucker for punishment for that. You are, um, but I, I'm just you blink and you dip, and they're like suddenly in love. You're like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, exactly. you know, when, when when did they suddenly decide that they would you know should be a couple? You know, there, there was, there's no chemistry between Shane and Woodley, which and, and Theo James. I think that's more his fault than anything else because I think you know the only thing he's got you know chemistry with is a cardboard cutout himself. Yeah, <laughs> but. It's just, there's no chemistry between them. There's very little build-up to them getting together, really, other than the fact that, you know, 
for some reason he clearly fancies her and and, and she kind of has the hots for him and, and just suddenly they get together but they have nothing in common really and you're just left wondering I don't I just don't believe them as a couple I can't no. see why they're together it means and, it, mean, no. it means it means nothing you know if, if you compare that to, to the Hunger Games and I know we keep doing this but you can't help but do that with this because they're so alike exactly yeah Right. If you compare yeah. it to that, the relationship she had with both of the leading men in that film, right, and in that in those books, there is layer to that. There is there is depth yeah. to that. Right. They, and they also don't throw just throw her into that romance. No romances either. Like it takes time mm. for those relationships to build. And in fact, even even to you know, it's it's taken like, three films really for her to kind of face up to the fact that oh, actually, she quite likes Peter mm. as well as this other guy. And you know the, the other chap, play, Liam Hemsworth, isn't plays plays him. Mm, He's okay. I guess a bit closer to the character of Thor. Yeah, I guess. they're kind of dark and brooding and not got a lot of personality. But I, again, I kind of think that's more down to the actors. Than well, yeah, I mean, in, in the, the books, themselves. in the books, they're very, very well characterised. The whole, you yeah. know, it, it all goes through the prism of, of Katniss, and mm. she, it, it's very well done in the sense that she do, she really doesn't know which one to choose. Yeah. She sees she sees things she needs in both men, and yeah. then she has to ultimately make a decision. And it, the ending of the Hunger Games is really fucked up. And I'm really hoping Mockingjay does that because it's really yeah. really fucked up. Yeah. But you know, with this, it's like the whole reason they're together is because they look cute. The mm-hmm. whole reason they're together is because little fang fangirls can go, oh, aren't they? Aren't they cute? Aren't they hot? Oh, oh. You know, it's wish fulfilled. It's fantasy, and it's not. Yeah. But it's not even good fantasy. And I feel a bit sorry for Shailene Woodley because. She's very wooden in this. She's very boring in this. Yeah. But there's a good actress in there. And yeah. she, she's, you know, she needs she needs things to let it out. You know, it's certainly not going to be the two, oh, Jesus Christ, the two Allegiant films that are going to finish this off. Two more. What what are they going to do in the next film? Are the next film's going to be completely, you know, different to the, the first two films? They're going to have barely any... I mean, um, in, in, the sense, in the sense that, you know, this, the whole thing is just, it's just for money. It's just yeah. one of those things that's just being made to cash in on a very, very lucrative market. Because say what you like, young adults, what else have they got to do apart from go to the cinema? A lot mm. of them, right? And this kind of thing, you market it in the right way. And, you know, I mean, Surgeon has done that. You know, Allegiant will be here in a year. Allegiant Part 2 will be here the year after. And I'll go and see them because I, 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 I don't even know why. People keep saying to me, why, why are you going to see rubbish films, Tony? And my answer just keeps getting weaker. Yeah, well, we we do it so that you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, we go back. We go yeah. back to the tagline. We do it so you don't have to. And well, you need a, a new hobby. Film, it's yeah. just, it's just, it, it's it's just not for us. It's not made for us. And it's it's. Eh, I've got nothing. Eh. Yeah, that's nah. something up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Insurgent will be in cinemas uh, for at least another two or three weeks. So go catch it if you want. Dark times call for extreme measures. I'm not going to fight you. Of course you're not. You're going to fight you. Or you can always go watch our next film, uh, which is Run All Night. It's got to be 15 years since I've been in here. place looks different. All the old places look different now. I'm the only one ever cared about you. And all of that ended an hour ago when you killed my son. I pulled the trigger. I killed Ellie. 
to. He was going to shoot Michael. I'm here asking for my son's life, Sean. He's a good kid. He's got a family. He don't deserve this. Mobster and hitman Jimmy Conlon has one night to figure out where his loyalties lie. With his estranged son Mike, whose life is in danger, or his longtime best friend, mob boss Sean Maguire, who wants Mike to pay for the death of his own son. Uh, Liam Neeson is joined by Ed Harris and Joel Kinnaman um, for this one. Um, Tony, I believe this one was you. Yes, me and Ray. And, uh, and I. Right. Okay. <laughs> now, he's in, his, he's in his cell there. <laughs> I'm in a nice doze. On his little, you know, um, pillows or whatever he's got. What have you got in that cell, Nathan? Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. I just had. I was just thinking of watching that film again, and I have fell you, asleep. Were you dreaming of Felicity Jones? I wish. Before, before I, before I start, right? Early, yesterday, when uh, Mr. Latham and I went to see another film, we went to The Voices. I said, in the, we need to talk about how we're going to have a, ba- a battle. As to which is the dollar film, is it Run All Night or The Gunman? Now, there's um, only one way to find out. Fight! fight! Right. And, then, <laughs> and then Liam Neeson and Sean Gunn stumble in Sean, and Sean taking. Versus... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sean Penn. For me, the answer is The Gunman, by far. However, I'm going before I talk about why I quite liked Run All Night. I will turn it over to Mr. Latham to talk about why he did. Who the hell thinks that Liam Neeson can do action films? The only thing I can think of is that the demon headmaster suddenly appeared at the start of Taken and said, look into my eyes, you're about to watch a really good action film and and that thing wasn't in the DVD that I saw because I thought Taken was a load of boring bollocks. Don't Everyone seems to think that Liam Neeson suddenly became had a massive career in Aeson as this geriatric action man and... All I've heard from any other Liam Neeson action film was, oh, it's a bit dull. Ugh, what the hell? He's not taken. So I just really need to couldn't get the Demon Headmaster to appear in front of him and hypnotise everyone to think it's the <laughs> they're going to watch a good film. Because this was bloody dull as anything. I mean, like, I mean, the amount of times they try and get away, try and get around the fact that Liam Neeson has to run. I think he runs once, and then if there's, like, something that stops him from running, and he just limps instead, and... Yeah, there isn't much running. Like, like, there wasn't much running in Taken 3 either, because he can't run very much now. He's 60. <laughs> but it's there's, like this, there's a whole story with like old mob bosses and hitmen for mobs and stuff, and then Liam Neeson's character is supposed to be this, like, very... I don't know, this supposed to have been this very effective hitman who's, at the start of the film, is pretty much a massive pervert, a drunken pervert, who, for some reason, should be a lot more hungover than he is. And then suddenly has a miracle hangover cure within like an hour. I'm, I'm I'm nodding off just thinking about it. It's just so dull, so grey. There's a load of scene transitions where the director, um, Jean-Marie Colessera, thinks he's being really arty by suddenly zooming out into, I think it's New York, or zooming out and then travelling across in what seems to be one take. And it just seems so out of place. Mm-hmm. So it goes from one place to see Ed Ed Harris scowling, saying, "I want the person who killed my son." Mm-hmm. To suddenly see Liam Neeson limping. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree with you on the, the the CGI side there. That was that was a bit of a, a leap too far. I think he was going for a stylistic touch more than anything else. You know, I, I liked Run All Night because I think that 
You know, this is Liam Neeson's third collaboration now with uh, Jamie Collissero. I don't know how you say his name either. After Unknown, which was, you know, not much of a muchness. And then Nonstop last year, which I, I quite enjoyed Nonstop, actually. I thought that was quite good. Wanted to be Hitchcock. Wasn't obviously Hitchcock, but wanted to be. And it did have at least aspirations to be a little bit more than just a dumb action thriller. And it was, you know, it was fun. It was fun. So he's got he's got a good dynamic with, with Liam Neeson, and this this isn't necessarily your standard Liam Neeson thing, you know. Matt, Matt's talk Matt talks about Taken, and I will defend Taken till the cows come home. I thought Taken won. Anyway, Look into my eyes, you are getting really sleepy. You're about to watch a film where Liam Neeson pretends to be an action hero. You will think it's really good, and every and every right. person in the audience with testicles will spontaneously jizz over this film every time it's mentioned. Liam Neeson, obviously, you know, this, this renaissance of his as an action hero has been hit and miss. It has, right? You know, it really has. He, he's probably done one truly good action film with this. This isn't necessarily the same kind of thing. If Nonstop was more like Hitchcock, Hitch, Hitchcockian, this is going for much more of a Michael Mann kind of meets Francis Ford Coppola vibe. You know, he's one of those filmmakers who seems to wear, he's, he's wearing his, uh, you know, influences quite on his sleeve. This is, this is much more of a crime story. Obviously, it has the Liam Neeson... You know, I'm going to go and kill a bunch of people and get very angry kind of thing. But it's not necessarily the standard thing. You know, the standard Liam Neeson thing has been this, you know, he's a man with skills. He's, you know, he's retired. He knows what he's got to do. He's gonna he will find you. He will, he will kill you. He will kill you and all this. This isn't quite the same because in this, he's basically down on his heel, right? He's, you know, he's an old mob. He's an old, like, mob hitman who is, you know, living out of a bottle. He's got no friends, no family. He's... His best mate, he's the mob boss he works for, and he's got a good relationship. That's Ed Harris. He's got a good relationship with him, but he's he's done he's fucked his complete his life up completely. And he knows it, you know, and he's getting shit canned by the the boss's son for and dressed making him dress up as Santa for kids' birthday parties and things like that. It's not the first time that um that Neeson's played an alcoholic either, because nonstop he was technically an alcoholic as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he so. was with those hilarious scenes where he was just pouring. He was sitting in his car and he was just pouring whiskey into, from a tumbler into a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hard drinking. I'm I'm proper like yes. I drink to forget. And then, yeah, it's all <laughs> cheesy. Forget everything. Yeah. Forget why I did this film. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, you should think that for taking the three. You know, it has those those elements, but this is at least what I liked about this is that it's at least trying to be a little bit more than it ultimately is. You know, it has aspirations and of being a little bit. It has aspirations of being a little bit more, and, and what what saves it, and why for me it's a solid, you know, middle of the range film, is the is the, is gravitas. And I said this in my written review. What saves it is the fact you've got Neeson, who's obviously a very good actor, and you've got Ed Harris. And Ed Harris is one of these people you don't necessarily see in everything anymore, and it's very rare that he turns up in in these kind of action picks now. And you know, he immediately reminds you of, of when he, you know, when he did films like The Rock, where he and he was brilliant in The Rock as the villain in The Rock. And again, he brought the kind of gravitas with Sean Connery that that film needed to make it so good. Then with The Truman Show, where he plays a different kind of villain, but again, he, you know, people forget even that The Truman Show. Obviously, everyone remembers Jim Carrey, but without Ed Harris, that film wouldn't have been the masterpiece it is. Technically, he's, he's dual building that, isn't he? I mean, he's the only person yeah. apart from Carrey whose names I think he's on. Is he on equal billing with? Um... Jim Carrey, because he... He same. might be. He might yeah. be. And he did um, show, all about it now. <laughs> right, yeah, and yeah. he's not in that much of it, but he, he he's, he's brilliant. And he, he's he's in he's in a fair bit of this, but he's not in all of it. But he... he the, 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 when it truly become, comes alive, and the, the only points that it's genuinely above its station are the scenes between Liam Neeson and Ed Harris. And it, 
ultimately it's about you know sons it's about family it's about how it's about retribution it's about all these different things it has that core of a much much better film what it doesn't do however is escape the very routine action-based aspects of it you know it has in the end Liam Neeson's got this quite unconvincing father-son relationship with Joel Kinnaman who's one of those actors who I don't get it I don't get it you know he was he was decent enough in Robocop but I don't get it I don't understand why he, he's doing what as well as he is I don't get it he's it's a bit like the Liam Hemsworth thing he's the guy you call when everyone else has turned it down it's, it's like why he's the way he's got the Rick Flag role in Suicide Squad because Tom Hardy didn't want to know and then you know a few yeah. other people turned it down and they've gone for Joel Kinnaman he's he's all right but he's not he's not that much of a muchness and it's that whole like you know relationship there in that the son is good and you know he doesn't want to become his father and his father doesn't want him to become him which is why every time he has to go try and kill somebody he's trying to kill them because in the end the mob are after him the police are after him you know assassins are after them common turns up you know the rapper as an assassin as basically a black terminator effectively who just keeps cropping up every now and then and it's the one the, the tr- one truly great action sequence actually is in this burning building where Liam Neeson come and have a fight and that is really really well staged I mean that that was the bit where it nearly came alive. Yeah, that was really well staged by Colin Sarah. It was, it looked fantastic, and it's, it. I must say as well, it's got a superb soundtrack. It's got a great score by um, uh, Tom Holkenborg from Junkie XL, which I've had on, on repeat a few times since. Cracking, sort of thumping, yet quite epic score going behind it. Much better than the film itself, in fact. You know, so it it, it has it has the DNA of something better. But ultimately, it does succumb to its own, you know, its own failings. And, you know, the fact the director is one of these people who he kind of he, he doesn't copy necessarily, but he cribs from better directors and he just tries to basically make his own thing of what they do. And in the end, it's, you know, when he tries to make it stylistic, like with the, Matt quite rightly said, that quite dodgy CGI where he's zipping around the city, you're thinking, hang on a minute. No, that doesn't fit. If, if you're going for a grungy sort of, you know, brooding tone which is what this film is it is very dark it takes place across one night and a little bit of morning you know it doesn't quite fit with that plus the point it ends twice effectively and the second ending is not very good at all the second ending doesn't work it should have just ended first time round, and then it doesn't it carries on for another half an act and you're like oh, just get just finish this now will you just just let's just get it over with you've told the story that's it but it entertained me anyway like i say i don't think it's it's something that is bad enough to put people to sleep like it did, Matt. But when the best part than... of a film is when two characters are going, Liam Neeson and Joel Kinnaman are going, I want you to give me one night, one night, one night, and I suddenly turn to Stanley, one night in heaven. He did. <laughs> You've got a problem. He's he basically, he one night, one night, one night. <laughs> and I'm really hoping that people just... That would just start saying one night again because I was planning to just annoy Tony by going one night in heaven every time did that. But the film didn't, and that's another reason I'm annoyed with it. I was going to have fun. It, you know, the, the, importantly though, it is not anywhere near the bad levels of Taken Three or Taken Two or th- th- those kind of films. It's it, it, it's a better Neeson picture than those, definitely. Mm. It is. <laughs> That was uh, released on Friday, so we'll be in cinemas again for at least a week or two. You can see that one, or instead, you can see the stafe uh, in Wildcard. (laughs) 
Faust does. Hey, 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 let go. I won't touch her again. Not until she asks me. You're my own little hero. It worked, Nikki! She loves me, Dad. $1,000. Can you tell me about yourself? You want my qualifications. Along those lines. Along those lines. I can take care of things. That's all you need to know. Mm. Stay them. Stay from Rise with lay them. When a Las Vegas bodyguard with lethal skills and a gambling problem gets in trouble with a mob, <laughs> funny that, he has one last play and it's all or nothing. Does he? Um, just like every other Jason Statham film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a statement. <laughs> or was it unique, Tony? <laughs> well, you know what, actually? It, it, this isn't like every other Jason Statham film and that's why I didn't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is an odd one because if you watch the trailer it is it, it's the same it's the same kind of Statham deal right it's he's bashing a lot of heads together he's quipping every now and then he's an edgy guy he yeah, likes a drink you know he's got that you know Statham kind of voice it's also a little bit a little bit American at the same time it's that kind of I can't actually do that impression very well but Statham's got that now he's, got that kind of cod american british thing going on you know so you look at the trailer and it's you know it's got sophia sophia vergara from modern family cropping up almost popping out of the top with her boobs and he's there going and then he's whacking her head to you know you think okay classic stadium it's another mechanic it's another crank it's another transporter however no for a start right this is an adaptation of a book that was adapted years ago written by william goldman bizarrely and william goldman Goldman is the the most famous screenwriter in Hollywood of the last 50 years. This is the guy who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is the guy who's written Adventures in the Screen Trade, you know, the most celebrated book on screenwriting. And, and as I've got, I've got that and the sequel, and I've read them many times, and they're, they're superb books. This this is the guy who's, like, won Oscars coming out of his arm, and he, he is, you know, he's the Spielberg of the screenwriting world. So that's an odd, that's odd for a start. But it's based on a novel that he wrote called Heat, in the 80s, which itself was adapted in the 80s as, as a film called Heat with Burt Reynolds playing Nick Wilde, who's the character that um, Stadium plays here. Now, the big problem is that Wildcard completely markets itself to tailor with Stadium when Stadium is unbelievably miscast in many ways. This is a film for a character actor. It's not a film for an action you know, titan of his day pretending to be a character actor. And those are two very different things. Stadium's really good at what he does, you know. And occasionally, you know, he does try and vary his career. You know, he did Hummingbird, which, not a great film by any means, but he was perfectly good in that. And he had more dramatic meat to chew on. But in the end, that ended up seeing him kick a lot of ass and things like that. But that was that was a better written film in general. But he, but again, he wasn't brilliant in that because he do, he has a level. He has, a, he has limitations, He's never, ever going to be one of these action stars. He's, like, like Liam Neeson can, can actually, as we've just talked about, can do the action stuff or has been able to do the action stuff, but also has the actor ability to make it, you know, make potentially something very bad, have some depth and gravitas. Stalin can't because he, he isn't capable of it. What he's brilliant at, though, is being incredibly likable. 
He's he could play. And I mean, he busted the Furious Seven in a couple of weeks. He's going to be the bad guy. Now I bet I put money on the fact that you'll, he will be absolutely massively entertaining as a villain because you will you'll, you'll like him at the same time, even though he's a bastard, right? Mm. Statham can do that, and he's great at it, and he's he's superb at all the action stuff. You know, he he is the modern Stallone kind of you know guy. He he really is. There are many there aren't many people like him anymore. But when he tries to do something where he's pushing his ability and he's trying to do something that's very dialogue-headed, it, it fundamentally doesn't work. It's directed by Simon West, who did the um, who did the mechanic with him. The mechanic, again, was poor. Con Air is probably the best one he's ever done, and that was years ago. So, you know, he's, he's teamed up with this guy before on several things, and they haven't worked. But in this case, you know, it, he's, it's a very cliched view anyway of, of, a, of a guy who's, you know, he wants to escape Vegas, but he drinks hard, you know. And he, uh, he hasn't got anyone in his life, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he's tough. But he, uh, he just wants out. He just wants out of this life. But he gets sucked back in when uh, a dame comes to him. And uh, she's been badly hurt and he needs her, he needs her up. You know, you're like, oh, this, really? And then, you know, it really does plod along. It doesn't help by the fact that, you've, you, you know, the villain of the piece is Milo Ventimiglia from uh, Heroes. <laughs> so... So, yeah, so I'm so yeah, sorry. We, we, I'm, we've talked about wooden actors today, but that—he's something else. He is. He's—he's <laughs> he's a, he's a character who is basically a, a, a you know a mob boss's kind of. Well, he's—he's he's basically a sleazy, slimy mob boss who lives in a penthouse. Who's just, you know, he's one of those people that thinks he's hard, thinks he's you know he's basically just a, a little shitty rapist, and Statham just kicks the shit out of him really. And then it, it it doesn't mean anything, you know. The whole thing it's just like, well, what what are you trying to say here? The only good bit, the only bit that I really liked, you know, the re- it kind of dragged, very slow, slow moving. There's these odd moments where Statham does kick ass, and those are good, you know. That that those are classic Statham, but they're they're very seldom and they're few and far between. And in between, there's all these dragging scenes of him at the crap tables and speaking to waitresses about how he's slightly tormented. And Jason Alexander pops up for a point of scene. And then, you know, Sofia Vergara pops out for a point to see. And then you've got, like, you've got all these people. And then the only good bit is when Stanley Tucci turns up. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Stanley Tucci's brilliant in most yeah. things. He's one of those actors who can just come in and elevate the whole thing. And he does that here. He plays a, he plays a very Rat Pack-esque mob boss called Baby. Right? <laughs> and he's very <laughs> slick. And he's like, ah, oh, Nicholas. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can I help you? And he basically has to come in to settle the dispute between Statham and Ventimiglia. And there's, the, there's a great scene where Ventimiglia is basically going, he's fucking shit, kill him. And Baby's there going, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. And, he, and he, they sort it out. But he's only in like one or two scenes. And it's always better when he's in the film. But he's not a major player, so he can't be in the whole thing. The rest of it just, it just drags. It's not bad. You know, Statham's likeable. But in the end, you get to the end and you went, well, what was the point of that? It wasn't action-packed enough to be exciting. It wasn't dramatic enough to be powerful statham can't act properly he's got he hasn't got many people surrounding him who are very capable either and you, you're there going well it's not even brilliantly written which is a surprise given it's <clears> william <throat> goldman so it's 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 nothing really and it's a, it absolutely titanically bombed at the box office it made like about three thousand five hundred pound dollars in, mm. in america total <laughs> it's a it's an it's a massive massive bomb and I, I, it, it might fare better over here, but because it's been marketed quite well. But when people see it, they're going to go, "Well, that wasn't what the trailer thought said it was going to be." Mm. You know, so maybe catch it if you've had a few beers and there's nothing else on. But it's, it's nothing, it's nothing special, and it's nothing as good as Stadium's best. One way or another, this is my last night in Vegas. is my review of Sweet From Say. Or Soup Franchise. A great tragedy has overwhelmed our nation. You are defeated, and we are now in charge. Damned if I'm living by German time. Have you got anyone? An officer. Good evening. We don't look at him. We don't speak to him. piano is yours, I imagine. I see everything that goes on in this house. The jail in my home is after Madeline. The officer that lives it. I don't speak to him. That's not what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I went in when I, can I just have a ticket for the film that's on now? <laughs> like, what film? I don't know, Sweet, whatever it is. <laughs> do you, do you do, did you notice, though, Dan, that you said Soup Franchise in the last podcast? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't have the heart to tell you. But then when it went out, I was like, yeah, it's a Soup Franchise. <laughs> Should have edited that, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> oh, please just refer to it as Soup Franchise. What, what? Well, you just had me rattling off all the films when you were just voiced to suddenly coming and go, Sweet Frog Sides. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. <laughs> An adaptation uh, of the book of the same name, basically during the early years of German occupation in France and World War II, romance blooms between Lucille, a French villager, uh, villager and Bruno, a German soldier. Well, no. 
basically it's you know your kind of typical period piece with uh, romance obviously at the heart of it the one thing that bugged me automatically is that you've got actually you know people like Kristen Stock Thomas in here who is you know very good when you know she's she's given more to do but she doesn't really get that much and the thing that irritates me more is that she's a she's fluent in French yet they decide to do it in this kind of you know, basically all the French-speaking characters speak in English, obviously, you know, for the reasons making it more accessible to the audience. But I just don't understand why they, did, you know, didn't just do it as a subtitled film. You know, uh, Scott Thomas has done a lot of um, actually, you know, French films, which has been subtitled, etc. And actually, they tend to be a lot better than, you know, films like this, where you've got, um, you know, Michelle Williams kind of unconvincingly uh, um, kind of falling in love with this German <clears throat> soldier played by Matthias Schonotz, who basically... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at his name, I'm laughing at how hard that was for you to say. <laughs> well, no, I'm so I, glad I, it's I, not me getting the mic taken out of for trying to pronounce <laughs> stuff for once. I do apologise, because that's probably completely and utterly wrong. But I just, I, for, for starters, I couldn't see any chemistry between, you know, those two. And I also struggled to see why she would fall in love with this 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 german nazi basically and he's, he's one of those characters where he's you know we kind, of, we kind of talked about it um with insurgent where he's this kind of sensitive but you know rugged kind of man and uh, you know he's a, he's a soldier so he's hard and you know, he goes out and kills people but, but he's, he's tormented about it and every 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 you know person he has to kill you know is you know just so difficult for him and basically, so we, we try and see him as this kind of sensitive character. And I just don't really believe it. Also, Margot Robbie was <clears> in this, <throat> apparently, but I didn't don't remember seeing her. <laughs> so she obviously didn't play a big enough role or I wasn't paying attention, probably the latter. Because um, it was very difficult. You know, I, I will say this is completely not my type <clears> of film. So perhaps, you know, someone that you know, does like, you know, enjoy the, the, the you know, Types of pictures will will enjoy it a lot more, but for me, it just it didn't connect to me on any level. Didn't really believe the romance between the the two lead characters, um, and there just wasn't really a lot to go on. Basically, the the idea is that uh, the friend uh, the German soldiers that are stationed in France basically move in and live with the local people. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You know the you're, you're the you're the Vermont, uh, that's the completely the wrong thing of that. Vermark, Robert? The, 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 the. Dan, I, would, I, give, I wouldn't worry about pronouncing things wrong. I think you've set the benchmark there, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's expected. <laughs> oh, what's it called? Is it Vermark? Is that, is that Vermark, Vermark. yeah, the Vermark, I think. Yeah. I think you got that right, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> so the, you know the dignitaries have people with them, um, you know, have... Uh, like kind of the generals and um, the kind of high-ranking officers, and obviously the kind of lowly paupers have the um, the, the lower the, the lower officers, as it were. And the, there is a kind of an antagonist in there as well, where you know you've got this one soldier who's a bit of a douchebag and basically tries tries it on with a guy's wife. Basically, this this guy who um, was injured in a horsing accident before the war, um, so he wasn't able to partake. So he feels emasculated by this this German soldier who, who kind of comes in and kind of throws his weight around. Sounds like an LOL, um, you know, speaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, 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 in fact, yeah, he kind of worked. It was very, it was very camp. You kind of just you, you look at you know, how yeah you kind of look at him and go, how is this bloke the second in command in this you know 
you know German army. You know how how is he potentially one of the highest ranking officers um, there? Because you just look at him; he's just this weedy little bloke with this ridiculous moustache, and it's, just, it's quite funny. But you know, again, so you've got an, an antagonist, as it were, who is not the least bit interesting. In fact, you know, is quite cheesy and camp, and you don't really believe that that you know he can hold that kind of role in the army. But as I said, the best thing in it is Kristen Stock Thomas, and she's in it very little, um, and she kind of plays the um, Michelle Williams's mother-in-law, and basically doesn't doesn't approve of her, and, and thinks her son could have done better, etc. <clears throat> Um, you know, there's the secrets that obviously she knows about him and he's off to war, so we never see him. And then, as I said, this German soldier comes in and she you know, she falls in love with him, but she's tormented about it because of what people will think about her. But, well, she goes and does it anyway, and they bonk on, in the dining room on the table. Uh, on the floor, on the wall, and the station's on the floor. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it just is completely the wrong type of film for me really to do a constructive review about because I really didn't like it but more to do with the fact that I just don't like those types of films you know I don't even like the atonement or you know those are supposed to be very good you know there, there is there is a point with this though really and that if you think about it you know in the case of this and Insurgent you're dealing with films that maybe aren't made for our target audience no the, but this this is this is the difference, I think, between a genuinely good piece of work and something that isn't working properly. Because, you know, I've watched... I'm one of these people who I'll watch anything you put in front of me, to be honest. I yeah. won't really turn away from anything. And the ones where I'm genuinely surprised are the ones where I will watch something and I will not expect to like it at all. And I'm yeah. quite blown away by it. Or I quite think, that was, that was really entertaining, despite the fact that I know these aren't my kind of films. Yeah. Well, that, that's so, what I was hoping for. I, I was I was going in thinking, well, I've got to watch it anyway, so you know, it'd be nice if I do enjoy it. But I, I just there was no, I didn't connect with the characters was... at all. I didn't really believe the three. And you know, you've got some good actors in there. You know, Michelle Williams, mm. um, you know, Christopher Thomas, Margaret, Margaret Robbie as well. You know, who's really up and coming at the moment. But you know, none of them do anything really to make me go, oh yeah, that was actually quite good. Mm. And that's exactly that's exactly the point. You know, the drama isn't working for you. It, you, it, you knew it wasn't exactly your kind of film anyway. So <clears throat> in order to make that happen, the drama has to work for you, and it didn't. Yeah. And it, it was yeah. the same with Insurgent. The drama wasn't working because yeah. because it, for people who aren't engaged in that world and, it, and and of that target audience, you're not getting anything from it. And that's the difference for me between something that genuinely can transcend age and is, is genuinely well made and well put together, and something that's only going to appeal to a very very limited base of people who. Mm. You know, it, to me, it's laziness. The, the, it's just not trying hard enough. So that that was that was possibly its only point was that it wasn't too long. <laughs> it did feel like a good, you know, a good length. It's 107 minutes, um, so it's actually nice to actually watch a film that isn't two hours long um, or over. Like, you know, had it been two hours and a half, then that would, yeah, you know, probably would have left. <laughs> <laughs> Fire! Careful with your life. This is precious to you. So, Sweet Fonsay was released on the 13th of March. We'll be mostly in um, city centre and art house cinemas, but I'm sure you can catch it um, in your local as well um, over the next couple of weeks. Before we review the voices, we've got Tony's review of The Gunman. We did some bad things. I did some bad things. Tell me. We thought we were helping 
but it didn't work out that way. He always worried too much, Jim. The past is the past, my friend. You keep a diary of the horror we created. It never happened. That's the way you want to play it? With me? You did your part, I did mine. We all found a way to justify it. <laughs> keep your eyes open, my friend. It's the ones who aren't after you that do you in the end. In a world where the demon headmaster forgets to turn up for the introduction of a film to convince you it's good, Sean Penn plays the guy who got pissed off at Trey Parker for taking the mick out of him in Team America. Dan, I know you normally do like a little blurb to intro, but let's not bother because that's done it. All right. <laughs> that's, yeah. Done. Um, done. Right. Basically, the way that Matt felt about Run All Night was exactly the way I felt about the government. Now, I, I had, I had, you know, real high hopes for this, to be honest, because, you know, I, I, I you know, I like the Jerry Action Hero, as it's called now, <laughs> idea of, of these, these character actors, in this case, Sean Penn, of these well-known character actors who are, you know, quite tough in real life, take no messing. And blimey, Sean, Sean Penn is, is about as hard a bastard in real life as you could get, right? But he's, 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 he's a really, really good actor, and, and he kind of gets away with it. In, out in real life and in his films. So to actually take these kind of guys and port them in and, and, and have them be these kind of badass action heroes, I like that. I like that idea that it's not just, you know, you know, dumb Adrian kind of guys. Although, to be fair, Stallone is not as dumb as, as he, he appears. But, you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of action hero, and I like that. So I was thinking, well, the gunman, okay, all right, Sean Penn in this role, directed by Pierre Morel, who did Taken. And as I said earlier, I, I really liked Taken because what I liked about Taken was that it was, it was a B-movie. It was, it was a pulp B-movie that knew exactly how, how daft it was, really. It, it, knew, it knew what it was doing. It knew completely what it was doing. It was using the gravitas of Liam Neeson in order to propel this story, you know, about a, uh, you know, a, a, a root of family, about this guy who will just do everything to get his daughter back. And it moved like... But I'm ball bearings, grease ball bearings, and it was fun. Now, Pierre Morel directed that very well. He gave it a proper lot of oomph, a big punch to it. Mm. I, I I don't know what happened in the ensuing like seven years, but the gunman could not be further from that if it tried. It wants to be several different things at once. It wants to do the 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 kind of Liam Neeson action hero thing, but at the same time, it also wants to be a character drama. It also wants to be a political drama. It also wants to be a very earnest kind of, you know, story about or how, you know, corporations are bad. Well, we knew that. About how all things in the Congo are bad. Well, we knew that as well, right? And it's, it's got this very sort of po-faced sense about it in that it never feels like... You know, Taken felt like, yeah, okay, it, was, it, it had a serious idea. It wasn't a comedy or anything, but it felt like that everyone knew how much fun this was of seeing, you know, Lisa going around Paris shooting no, all these people. The government, you know, it, it's, it just saps any of the, you know, there's about 15 minutes worth of action in, in, in nearly two hours. And the rest of it is just Sean Penn internalising this this whole, like, you know, thing that the, the, the company who he worked for are now after him because he shot a minister, funnily enough, that the, the minister of mining in the Congo. And that's how he's called all the way through because clearly they, they didn't know how to pronounce an African name. So he's just constantly called the minister of mining. You killed the Minister of Mining? Well, yeah, what's his name? You wouldn't just go, the Minister of Mining all the time. It's just like... And so you've got that, 
and him being very, you know, and he's got this relationship with um, an, a, a character played by an Italian actress called Jasmine Trinker, I've never heard of. And she she's pretty bad in this, to be honest. She plays that waify kind of love interest that he, he has to leave behind. And then she marries Javier Bardem, who basically was his handler back then, who fancied her. And then she marries him because it jumps like eight years from the beginning. And so then Sean Penn turns up and he gets all... all this is the thing as well. It's got this really, really good supporting cast of people who are absolutely awful in this film. Javier Bardem is, you know, he, he's, he can be quite hammy sometimes. But, you know, he knows how to play a good villain like he did in Skyfall. But in this, he's basically just the Spanish guy who can't get drunk all the time. I say, I'm saying more like Dracula. It's not really Spanish. Um <laughs> But he's got that, you know, that, oh, I'm second best and all this kind of thing. And so he's just getting pissed and coming out with these awful lines. Mark Rylance, who you don't see in films very often, you know, he's the, he's the, the eminent Shakespearean actor of our age on stage in, in England. He comes <clears> on as the, as, spoiler, but he's the villain. Although you'll see it coming straight away, really. And he's, again, he's got that kind of sort of American-British kind of accent thing going on that you never quite know where he's from and he's you know he's talking like that and then he's uh you know and he's he's coming out with awful lights you know he's ta- and he, he's he's poor which is remarkable given he's he's genuinely great actor and then ray winston a bloody hell fire you know you know ray winston you know there's the whole thing of how he comes on to those those adverts and he's like all right me old china why don't you get this pipe with this money matters and all that stuff right he he does that in this film, but it's it's it is about as cliched, not just Cockney, but as cliched Ray Winston as you could find. The whole film is him going, "Fucking hell, mate! Fuck me! Fuck! Fucking hell! How you doing? For fuck's sake!" I mean, every other word, right? He's like, "Fuck me, mate! You fucking hell, Sean! You got fucking uh, got fucking sort that out, mate! Oh, you're on the run! I'm gonna fucking get you a shooter! But fucking hell, mate! Fuck's sake! Honestly, honestly. you reckon they gave him a script or they just? <laughs> Ad lib, mate. Just, I think, yeah. Just go with it. I think they said, right. Do, do, do you think? Do you think he's the same character that's in those Bet Three Six Five adverts? Yeah, I do. Just like without without the post watershed. Have a fucking bang on that. That's it. That's what I was going to have a bang on that. That's it. They've just said, right, you know, I'm in the script, he's Stan, but don't worry about that because you're just going to play this Bet guy, right? Play Ray Winston being that guy, okay? Just with long hair. So he's like, fuck it, hell, mate. Fuck's sake, right? We're gonna get you a fucking shooter. Right, we're gonna fucking. I'm, I'm making this sound a lot more entertaining than the film is. Yeah. Right. And it's like he's in it because only... I want to watch it now. Like, well, just watch those bits. He's only in it for like about 15 minutes. Sure, uh, uh, yeah, just 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 fast forward to the bits with Ray Winston. Ray Winston in the gunman. <laughs> right, and then yeah, and then um... have a bang on that, you fucking slag. And then Idris Elba turns off, right, and he's he's in it for like 10 minutes, right, and he's he's got nothing to do. Right in the whole thing, but he just shows up as like a, an actor, uh, an actor. He, he is an actor. He shows up as like an Interpol agent. Is he? No, no. Shows up as an Interpol agent, right? And you know he's he's hardly got any part in it. And it's just like, well, they, they needed to put a black man in it. And he he comes out. Well, everyone else embarrasses themselves, but he he comes out unscathed. And yeah, it's this whole thing of, oh, it's just it's just painful. You've also got the fact that Sean Penn is technically dying in this film because he has a he's got a brain problem or something it's like it's something to do with his frontal lobe means that if he, if he gets hit if he hits people and he gets hit on the head he starts to vomit I'm, I'm, it's like what so he's just he's just, he's just throwing punches and every time he gets punched back he's just vomits in their face <laughs> again i'm making this he, he just he just kind of
They should start calling gutsmen. They should start calling gutsmen rather than the gunmen. He'll fight someone. He'll have a bit of furious close quarter combat, like every half an hour, because that's literally the gap between action sequences. And then suddenly he'll, he'll hold his head and go, oh, oh, and then he'll just collapse, or he'll fall unconscious, or he'll vomit. And then, then he finally decides, yeah, I better go and see a doctor. So he goes to see a doctor, and the doctor says, yeah, you've got a temporal front lobe thing problem that if you keep if you keep fighting and you keep doing things that will hit you on the head, it's gonna get worse. So that's almost literally what the doctor says. Yeah. So then he basically has to have this conflict between he can't really fight people, but he needs to fight people because the company are after him. Oh, and by the way, his name is Jim Terrier. So all the way through in my head, I was doing dog puns. So he's barks worse than he's bite. You know, he's let off the chain. You know, all that. It was just going around in my head. That was a bit rough. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just, and then it, and then it just ends. And then you know, there's a hilarious actually, all for the wrong reasons, a hilarious final. Um, fighting a bull in a bull ring, not the bull ring in Birmingham, in a bull ring. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I know that place. I've yeah. been there. I've been there. I've done that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get to the end, and oh, it is. It is like stodging through treacle. It really is. It has no sense of fun. It has no sense of zip. It has. It's just hard work. It's hard, it's hard work, and you know. What what I liked about Run All Night was at least it had, you know, it had some really sort of interesting scenes between, you know, Ed Harris was really good in that, like I said, and it had some interesting moments. And it, there were moments where it's really well shot. In this, it just, it, oh, it dragged painfully. And, <clears throat> and it was just one of those films where you just wish it had, it, you wish it had been a bit more, you know, a bit more aware of how stupid it was. Because actually, John Pennington... <laughs> He's fucking buff, right? He's proper. He's 55, but he looks like about 30. He's proper. He looks good. And when he when he's doing the action, he's very good at it, actually. He he re- he he's more convincing as an action guy than Liam Neeson was. When it were, and it, and Liam Neeson pretty much started doing that around the early to mid 50s, right? But he looks more he's he's a better he's better shape to do it. So you could totally do this with Sean Penn, but you've got to remind him, Sean, this isn't milk. Okay, it's not like <laughs> this is a dumb action film. Be dumb. You know, in the last like two or three weeks, we've had like three action films. We've just reviewed them all, but none of them have really taken any money. None of them are actually any good. <laughs> Why are they bloody making them? What is quite what is quite worrying and quite sad is that all of those all of those films that we've just talked about that aren't very good are actually original screenplays or based on original things. Right? Mm. They're not tentpole franchise films. They're not sequels, and worryingly, they're not a making money, and they're not really creatively working. You know, you have also got to remember that those those three films we just talked about are not by genuinely good filmmakers either. You know, they're they're by no. they're by filmmakers. You know, Jean Collet Sarah is, you know, fairly he could get better, but you know, Simon West isn't very good particularly, really mostly. And you know, Pierre Morel has now proven he he, he can't like, make lightning strike twice. So. Mm. If you have, maybe it's just the time of year. Maybe it's you know we've we've had a lot of films that are quite duff so far by duff directors or average directors. So I think yeah. it's just that really. It's just they've all come at once. <laughs> just and it fits the run of this podcast. Dull, 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 dull. I can see the company's perspective. You're the last real threat on the table. And we got nothing left to talk about. Me and the devil. So far, has been very dull. 
maybe we'll have a change um, when we review the voices. How are you doing, Jerry? They like me at work. Do you want to get a drink? As a girl, I like her. Are you good with cats? No, the real question is, are cats good with me? Because they pretty much own us. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Sometimes they talk to my pets. <laughs> and they sometimes talk to me, sometimes. I get that. You're out, your league. Shush. Yeah, shut up, cat. Do you ever hear her voices? Not really. Jerry. Hey, Fiona. In her eyes, you're a ridiculous peasant killer. And you will discover what it feels like to be truly alive. Don't run! <laughs> Mr. Whiskers, he makes me do bad things. You totally stopped taking the pills, didn't you? Don't. The Voices sees Ryan Reynolds as a likeable guy who pursues his office crush with the help of his evil talking pets. But things turn sinister when she stands him up for a date. That oh that undersells it so much. <laughs> that undersells the film. It, it's it's quite accurate, but it undersells it quite quite a lot. Yeah, it it, it, it does. It does. Latham, you go you go with this because it's fair to say we both really like this one. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Layden, explain why. At first, it feels quite disorientating, um, very awkward, very awkward in like social interactions where this guy tries to speak to this like co-worker that he quite likes and it's all very awkward and stuff. And then as the film goes, it has this very light-hearted tone to it. But as the film starts to go on, it takes a very sinister very interesting turn and manage and somehow it's one of the few films I've ever known that can somehow juggle very contrasting tones. Laven, can I can I just quickly jump it, in and suggest that we, we put a spoiler warning on this and talk about this properly? Because it's okay. it's we'll we'll be able to explain this better if we can say what that you know that is. So spoiler warning. Carry on, sorry. <laughs> He's a he's a fruitcake. <laughs> um, Ryan, yeah, Ryan Reynolds pretty much plays someone who's had a bit of traumatic past and starts to hear voices. Well, by voices, he see he's his cat and his dog talking to him. His cat's got this very evil Scottish accent, who who just pretty much is like the dark side of his personality, and his dog's this very um, light-hearted. Just like this simpleton. It's pretty much like, you know, like in the cartoons where you get the angel and the devil yeah, on yes. the shoulders. Yes. You've got that, but you've got the devil being some sort of fucking evil. Give me some... F- I can't like, sleep. I'm not going to bother you. I can't sleep. Hey, fuckface, get my food. And then the dog. Yeah. The dog's more, don't worry. Don't worry, everything will be fine. He sounds actually... Li- You're a good person. A little You're bit a like good the, um, the pervert from Family Guy. <laughs> the dog. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a, he's it's a still, nice, but... good character. But yeah, the film it it's, it looks initially about this kind of strange romantic comedy about this guy and his co-workers. Where he's got some kind of social, like mental disability, and it starts to transpire that he's he, he it's not exactly schizophrenic. He's he hears voices and he's got some sort of dissociation disorder. Via accident, he ends up killing Gemma Arterton. Gemma Arterton in. What seems to be contrived, but actually is quite dark. Can he, he then starts? He then like kind of keeps the head in the fridge and starts, and then the head starts talking to him. But it's all and it's all in his head, and it's played for it's played very much for laughs. But then 
what what the film starts to do is that it twists on its head and what you're actually seeing is what he mm. sees and when you start to see around him you start to see the reality of what he's like and the film just starts getting darker and darker and then suddenly manages to be funny again and then dark and it is is it's it's really hard to suddenly see where that transition takes well it's not that hard to see but the film does it so seamlessly it's very remarkable in how unjarring the the whole twist does because it all works it's a film of two tones and these two tones work so much in sync that when the real darker tone kicks in you're you're pretty much pulled in and attached to what you're seeing and um, a lot of that is due to the character that Anna Kendrick plays, who I absolutely love. I loved her character. Her, her characters are absolutely sweet, sweet kind of other slightly cling bit of enthusiastic, naive, nice, nice young woman who gets involved with Ryan Reynolds' character, and it's through her that you see a lot more of what he really is like, and the, it, the film just then ends up somehow somehow being like a very serious farce so it, it's 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 if someone tried to make a serious gritty version of frank spencer particularly in the last <laughs> in the last it, it, well there's, there's like a series of events in like the there's a series of events in like um like the last 10 15 minutes of the film which turn which okay it's not over calamity not an over calamity but it's like if they toned down Frank Spencer with all these little mistakes that happen. That's that's what it, it's like—a very serious farce, and it but it, it works really well. Yeah, you can't quite you can't quite pigeonhole this film. That's why it was it would have been a bitch to market this film because it's you know it's not a romantic comedy, but it has traces of, of romance in it. You know, it's not a it's it's not a dra- drama, but it has definite you know dramatic angles to it. It's not a, a you know, a horror film, but it has horrific Im- I- I- moments. So it, it, it would have been very, very difficult to market because it doesn't fit one thing. And that's what I liked about it. That's why it's very much going to be a cult curio. It's directed by um, Marjan Satrapi, I think that's how you say her name, an Iranian, French-Iranian filmmaker who's mainly known for Persepolis, um, which I haven't seen, but that went down a storm a few years ago. So she's got a bit of cult cred behind her, you know, a bit of indie cred. And... What I thought, I mean, I thought it was very well directed. I think what what she what she impressed me with in what she did with this is managing to balance some really really sort of dark, you know, issues. You know, and it is it is very much about about mental illness and about like it's almost fantasy, but without going down that road fully. It's almost it's almost hyper real. You know, when when you first meet the mm-hmm. character of Jerry, which is Ryan Reynolds' character, you know, he's he's working this factory and they're all wearing pink for some reason they're all dressed in pink and the whole factory is almost pink in many ways it's very very art it's very like 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 matt said it's very disorienting very colorful colorful, but it's not quite real you know and i think that's the sense that it it seems it's going through the prism as matt as matt also said the lens of this guy really it's going through his prism the whole film it's not like it's one of those films where you, you don't see the whole picture because it's through one point of view. It's not quite like that, but it's everything is framed through his kind of distorted view due to his mental illness. And that's what makes it interesting because it's, it could have easily just been a very sort of basic, sort of, you know, twisted kind of thr- um, comedy thriller, but it's not. 
it's not any of those things, but it's all of them, and it and it manages to balance it really, really well. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's all of. It's not yeah. any of those things. It's all of. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's a strange way of putting at it, putting it, but it really is, and it manages to sort of fuse and balance them really, really well in a way that most films couldn't do. It can flit between being really, really macabre and bizarre, and you know, incredibly jet black, funny. Into the point where you know you're laughing. We were all laughing out loud when he's literally hacking up a body, right? He and he's putting he's putting this the scraps of of I think it's Gemma Arterton's body in Tupperware containers, which he lines up like in OCD fashion, and it's full of body parts. And we're all there laughing our heads off at this. And you're thinking, well, it's, 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 there's a long there's a long continuous shot of him just trying to trying to cut through something, and he's he can kind of hear these sound effects off yeah. off camera. And then, like, but it's all one shot, and then he kind of stops, adjusts stuff again, carries, carries on, gets annoyed, just stuff, and then it kind of looks, it sounds like he's pretty much wanking at one point, but then a leg falls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's playing with a lot of a lot of conventions as well. I mean, there's you know the, the scene where he ends up killing Gemma Arterton. You know, it's not it's not premeditated. You know, what he what he does at first anyway isn't premeditated. No, it's the, the the reason she dies is because she reacts to what she perceives as him being crazy. And yes, he is crazy, but her, almost her reaction to what she perceives that isn't correct actually leads to what she thought would happen, if, if I'm explaining that properly. It's very clever in that it's playing with perceptions of, of things that people would do or know in, that, in a situation. It does that a few times. And then, it, like, it's, like I say, it goes through this prism of Jerry's journey to the point where, you know, he's got this foul-mouthed Scottish cat that's that's talking to him, which is, you know, he, again, one of his voices. It's his, it's his devil, as Matt quite rightly said. And then the, the sweet dog that's trying to tell him everything's going to be okay. And like, as he says, you know, the head, the head of Gemma Arterton, and, and later there's more heads that go into that into that fridge. But it's it's the whole thing of, you, you know, you'd think that that could be really corny and, and weird and, and wouldn't work, but it does. It does because it, it manages to externalise what he's doing and what he's thinking. And then it will flash to, you know, moments of his childhood that really contextualise and explain why he's like he is in quite a really dark and horrible, vicious, nasty fashion that really makes you sit up and go, oh, right, well, that shit. And then it goes back to, you know, a head in a fridge or, you know, it really does flip cleverly between these things. And like I say, in a way that, like Matt said, disorientates you, but in a good way. And... Ryan Reynolds can balance it so well. This is genuinely the best I've ever seen him. I'm not a fan of his normally, but I thought he was really good in this because he's he, he really manages to get that sort of quiet comedy, but also that sense of slight mania really, really well. Because he's so he's not passive, but he's he kind of just gets sucked into his own fantasy and his own world. And it, it's a really, really good performance. It really is. And around him as well. Yeah, and you know Anna Kendrick, who's you know really underrated, and she's great in in most things. You know, and it, it's 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 got these really nice characters around him. So you know, and it 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 just really works. It really balances everything really well, and it's it's a bit sweet, even though it's really sick at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's got a brilliant ending. I mean, it, it, the ending is just delightful. <laughs> oh, it's bonkers! It's the ending is absolutely really bonkers. Mad. But it, it again, it it can't it fits with the fits with the film tonally it's very consistent it leaves you with a, a, a smile in, in a really sort of twisted way <laughs> so what happens now Sean's gonna come after you Michael and if he 
get to you, he's gonna go after your family. This has got to end tonight. Tell everyone to get ready. As I said, The Voice is, is on a limited release, um, so you'll probably have a job to find it, but as Tony said, it's well worth checking out. You can also see any of the other films that we've reviewed in tonight's show in the UK, and it'll be, um, I'm sure, in some theatres over in the States as well. But that's all we've got time for this week. You can follow us on our uh, Twitter, which is at Black Hole Cinema. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, uh, give us some feedback. Um, and as always, if, if you're interested in coming on the show, um, joining the team, then uh, Tony's always open to um, getting more guests on the show. Um, so you can contact him on, on Twitter as well. Yep. Thanks for, for coming on again, uh, Latham. We'll, we'll let you go back, Thank back, you. back to your cell. <laughs> I'm, I think I'll be out by the end. Ne- next time I'm on here, I'll, I'll definitely be out. Are, sure, are you sure that you're, I... you're not like... You know, a risk to, to society. Though, should should we not just keep you in prisoner cell block N for for the foreseeable future? Well, the thing is, though, after watching the voices, I'm pretty sure that I'm actually at home and I'm just imagining this prison as if it's not. Actually Does that mean here. you imagine this podcast? I can't tell. Yeah, I mean, technically, one of you might be my angel and one of you might be my devil. Oh, 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 oh you might be real. You could be in a like a simulated world, just like Insurgent. <laughs> Uh, Except it would be not hopefully as dull. (laughs) Hopefully something interesting would happen in the simulated world. Uh, (laughs) And on that... What? Detergent. Uh, And on... Lay them in detergent. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) we'll see you next week. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.